This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. Good morning again. Um, One thing I wanted to emphasize, uh, we do, as the girls mentioned, we take opportunities as a church family to serve our community in very practical ways. Uh, And they mentioned about the Habitat for Humanity opportunity in November. Uh, One of our teams actually went in October. I'm going to throw that slide up. So this is the team um, that went to Habitat for Humanity to serve. And let me just tell you a bit about what they did. We had 10 volunteers go, and they spent uh, four hours cleaning. Um, unloading, pricing, and cleaning their warehouse. Uh, They prepared the store uh, floor for furniture purchases. They moved furniture, household items, commercial products, all that had been donated by people and corporations. And all items purchased at the store, I think it's called Restore, goes towards to um, upgrading homes and then also building homes. So when we do these Serve Saturdays, it's just very practical ways for us as a church family to bless our community. So if you want to be involved in the next event like this, you can sign up for that. I believe it's at the Connect Bar. If it's not the Connect Bar, wherever they said to sign up is the proper place to sign up. All right, well, we are in week two of our series that we have called Hall of Faith. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn over to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. And what we, were, what we were talking about as we launched uh, the series last week, if you missed the message last week, uh, oh, I just want to make mention, we actually have a brand new podcast feed. We recently changed our website, and when we changed our website, we actually had to start a brand new podcast feed. So if you subscribe to our podcast, uh, you just go to iTunes again and you search for our podcast, The City Church Mississauga. Uh, the new feed is our black and white logo. Um, the red, white, and blue logo version of our podcast feed will not be updated anymore. So if you do subscribe to the podcast, go back to iTunes. Um, or if you go to our new website on the media page, there is a link there to subscribe uh, to our podcast. So you can listen to the message there on our website and then also through the church app. But we discussed this idea starting last week called Hall of Faith. And what we're discussing in this series is all of the men and women found in Hebrews chapter 11. It's a great chapter discussing this idea of faith. All of the things that people did in the Old Testament, they accomplished it by faith. And we see this um, talked about, and we see this celebrated also, the idea of faith celebrated in the ministry of Jesus. When he taught and, and spoke to his disciples, many times he would slow down and say, look, if this person has great faith, and well, can you see their faith? And then sometimes he would say to his disciples, why do you have such little faith? And what we're looking at in this series is all of the things that these individuals accomplished. And then we get to look at the details of their life to see how they lived by faith. And as we discussed last week, this idea of faith that everybody actually lives by faith. Everybody lives according to their beliefs. That's what it means to live by faith. Now, some of us um, would just believe, uh, live according to our faith and just the ideas that the culture offers us now. And what I would say about that is culture is constantly shifting and changing and different things are going on within our culture and things that were celebrated 40 years ago aren't today and vice versa. And so if we live just by faith in the ideas of culture, that is a constant shifting sand. But the idea of faith discussed in the scripture is not just faith in ideas. It is actually faith in God. Faith as discussed in the scriptures is personal. 
that I'm putting my trust in God, not things that are moving around, not ideas that are changing, that I'm putting my faith in the eternal Father God who never changes, that I'm putting my trust in him for each area of my life. And as we said last week, um, things to do, what we see in Hebrews chapter 11 is things they did with their life, not things they didn't do or not things they shied away from, but as things they accomplished in life. And that's how we will accomplish things in life through God is by putting our faith in him. So let's read here in Romans chapter 1. Verse 16, it says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first the Jew, then the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is from by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. A righteousness that's faith first to last. In other words, I'm going to put my trust in God for my now. I'm going to put my trust in God for my eternity. And then it says the righteous, or another translation says the just or the justified, will live by faith. Those of us that have made Jesus our Lord and Savior, that we say that we're living by faith in God, that God wants us to live this way. It's not a, a church thing. It's not a Sunday thing. That God wants us to live every day, every circumstance, every situation by putting our faith in him. It's not just a religious context idea. That I'm going to live by faith. That it's going to permeate every part of my life. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says this. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. So the things that we hear about God and the things that we hear in this series... And the things that we hear about these men and women, these individuals that put their faith in God, we see what they accomplish, that our faith can grow or should grow or has the opportunity to grow as we see what they did. And when we see what they did, we can do the same things. We can apply those principles and those ideas to our life. So let's turn over uh, to Hebrews chapter 11, and we'll get started again this morning with the next person that we're going to look at. And as we discuss this idea of faith in this series, what we want to do is we want to challenge ourselves. We want to challenge ourselves to do things by faith, to to follow after God, to do his ways, not just to sit back and say, well, I have faith. No, that faith is active. Faith moves us. Faith causes us uh, to live a different type of life. And that's what we want to look at as we spend time in this chapter. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. It says faith is the assurance. That word also means ground or confidence. And like I said, the thoughts and the ideas and culture are always shifting and changing, but God never changes. He is the rock of our salvation, the scripture says. So we're putting our faith in him that is a firm foundation for our lives. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. So what is celebrated in this chapter is faith. And the same way they are celebrated in this chapter, the idea is about this chapter is that it's not a closed chapter. When we go to Hebrews chapter 12, the first verse talks about Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And then it tells us to run our race. 
So as we've called this series, The Hall of Faith, these men and women are celebrated for their faith. And when we, when we think about a hall of fame, um, you know, we have the Hockey Hall of Fame downtown Toronto. And every year, guys are voted into the Hockey Hall of Fame based on their achievements and different things that they did, how many points they scored, or if they were a really good executive, or they played defense really well. They get voted in to the Hall of Fame. And we have all of these in different sports. And what we see here, what is commended in the scripture or what allows us to enter into this hall of faith is when we decide to live by faith, when we decide to challenge ourselves, you know what? I'm going to put my trust in God. I'm going to put my trust in God today and every day in these circumstances, in these difficulties, I'm going to have faith in God. Verse 3, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen is not made of things that are visible. Now, this is what we talked about last week. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. This is who we're going to be talking about today here in verse 5. By faith Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death and that he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So God is there. He exists. And when we seek after him, what we're seeing here in these verses, that God is a rewarder. But back to the first part of this verse, it says, God is pleased when we live by faith, that faith pleases God. Faith in him pleases him. Now, in direct connection with this idea in verse 6 is the person that we're talking about today, Enoch, that Enoch pleased God by his faith. Now, there's actually very little in the scripture about Enoch, here's one of the places mentioning Enoch, by faith Enoch, so let's read about him, was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. So the story about Enoch was that, you know, he was living his life and he was pleasing God, obviously living by faith. And then they couldn't find him. We're like, hey, where's Enoch? Well, we're not sure. Can't find him anywhere. Uh, Maybe he passed away somewhere. We're going to see, you know, he's pretty old. Maybe he died. Well, can we find him? No, we can't find his body. And the story is, the idea is that he didn't see death, that he was actually translated right into the presence of God. But Enoch was pleasing God by his faith. So let's turn back to Genesis and let's learn a little bit from Enoch's life and we can see something about what he did. Genesis chapter 5. Now, um, Adam and Eve, as we read last week, had two sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel, but then Adam and Eve had another son, and his name was Seth. Now, Enoch was in the lineage of Seth. So we're going to be reading about um, someone, a descendant of Seth. Genesis chapter 5, verse 18, says this. When Jared had lived 162 years, he fathered Enoch. 
Jared lived after he fathered Enoch 800 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Verse 21, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. So Enoch was a little bit of a late starter. Didn't have children until he was 65. And then who was his firstborn? What was his son's name? Methuselah. Now, those of you that grew up going to Sunday school, who is Methuselah? The oldest person in the scripture. Church kids right here. He lived 969 years. And what we would say about Methuselah, that he learned something from his father about living a long life other than eating your vegetables, which is very good to do, according to what my wife tells me. Good secret to long life. But also he learned something from his father, Enoch, about living a long life. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Thus, all of the days of Enoch were 365 years. Verse 24, Enoch walked with God and he was not for God took him. So we see here, this is seven in the family line, seven from Adam through the line of Seth. And Enoch here is famous for walking from God. Now, if you go back to the previous chapter, do you remember Cain, who we talked about last week, kind of an angry guy, didn't want to get corrected, killed his brother? Seven from Adam through Cain, more murder was happening. And I just want to make a little comment on something called generational curses that people have asked me over the years about something called generational curses and they're nervous about generational curses that something happened in their past and they're worried about something or somebody in their past and because of different people in their past they feel like they're being cursed generationally because of something that had gone on first thing that i would like to say about that is that you can't curse what god has blessed and you are now a son of the Most High God through the lineage of Jesus. That Jesus is the firstborn among many brethren, and he is your older brother. He is your Lord and Savior. So any family curses that might have existed stop with you. So you don't have to worry about it, I would say, the first thing about that. And the second thing I would say that about Cain, who obviously had an issue and didn't want to get corrected, didn't deal with the attitude of his heart. And then seven, uh, six generations later, people are still killing people in his line. That Cain had an issue with his thinking. Would you agree? He didn't want to get corrected. He was mad at God, mad at his brother. The other thing that I would say to affect people that are following after you, after you in your family is stop thinking bad ways. Bad thinking produces bad activity. So if you don't like something about your family and how it is and how they act and how they talk, here's what I would say, simple advice. Stop it, change it, do something else. But don't be worried about generational curses. You belong to Jesus. Amen. That's an aside. This is all extra this morning. It's not in my notes. It's for somebody. So Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God 
had taken him, that he was just walking with God. We see this with Adam before the fall, that Adam, the scripture says, walked with God. We see this about Noah, that Noah walked with God. This notion is very important. When we think about walking with God, it doesn't just mean steps that I take. It actually means living my life with God. Not living my life for God, which is good to do, you know, serving God. I'm going to serve God by serving people. That's a good thing to do for God because God loves people. So I want to get the love of God throwing through me. So how am I going to do that? I'm going to love people. I'm doing that on behalf of God. That's good to do. But this notion is living life, walking with God, that I'm living life side by side with God the Father. And this is something that we would see with Enoch, not just doing something for God, but that he walked with God. And this is the thing that we would see, back to Hebrews chapter 6, by faith, we're going to please God. And how did Enoch please God? By walking with him. Just this very simple idea of involving God in my life, in the big and the small, in every situation, that as we mentioned last week, God is not an afterthought, that God is my first thought, that God is always with me, and God wants to walk with me. But what is the detail that we have about Enoch? If we go back to verse 21, it says, that When Enoch was 65, he fathered Methuselah. Enoch walked with God after he fathered Methuselah 300 years. So something happened at the time for Enoch. Before he had his son, he wasn't walking with God, or there's no description of him walking with God. And then after he had his son, he decided he was going to walk with God. Now, what happened in Enoch's life that we know about? And one of the things that we know about parents is, When you have a child, life changes. Can I get an amen? You know, life changes. You you know, you you, life gets a little bit busier when you have children. You know, uh, sometimes I, I listen to millennials, single millennials, and they're like, you know what? I'm just so busy. Just you know, life is just so busy. There's just so many things to do. And I, I just, life is just so hard. And for anybody that has, mar- you're married and you have children, what do you want to do to that millennial, that single millennial who's so busy? You just want to slap them in their face. <laughs> they aren't busy. You aren't busy if you're single and you have no children. You don't even know. You're busy, but just it's everything that you choose. I'm going here. I'm going there. I'm just, my social calendar is full. <laughs> but you aren't actually busy. Until you have children. And then we're up at night and, you know, we're, uh, you, there's so many different things that change and, and all of your money is being funneled into these small humans that contribute nothing. <laughs> Life just changes. And beyond the practical things, beyond the, the normal, uh, you know, we're going to change diapers and we've got to do midnight feedings and we've got to adjust to having no sleep. There's something else that happens to us when we, when we become parents. And one of the things that happens to us is that we realize how selfish we are. Does anybody want to admit that that's true as a parent? You just realize, you just go on this journey 
And one of the things that you learn on this journey is that life isn't actually all about you. That God has blessed you with this child and all of the time that you used to use on yourself, you are now giving to this child. And part of the realization that life isn't actually all about you, that it actually has a greater purpose beyond yourself. And then the other thing you realize is is you thought you actually understood what love is before you had a child. And you know, and parents, you would say, you know, you, you stood at the altar with your spouse and you, and you, you know, gave vows and you said wonderful things and, and you cried. You should cry. It's a beautiful moment. You know, and, and you found this person and you were just so in love. Just love you so much. We could just all night, we could just talk all night. And then a few years into marriage, there's socks in the middle of the bathroom and you're like, I've made vows to you. See, you thought you knew what love was when you stood at the altar saying, I love you. I commit my life to you. You were my soulmate. And then you had a child and something happened to you. You actually understood love in a whole other way. And my parents will say, and I've heard other uh, grandparents say this same thing, you know, Being a parent is wonderful, but being a grandparent is like a whole other thing. And if I knew it was this wonderful, I would have had grandchildren first. (laughs) And then one of the things for my wife and I, and I I always tell uh, couples, you know, about get ready to have their first child. The first six months of my eldest daughter over here who's sitting in the front row, the six, the first six months of her life are the most poignant Six months of our lives, that our lives changed in all of the physical ways that we just talked about. And then we went on this journey of uh, hopefully moving to some unselfishness. But also we realized something about love that we could never understand before. How much you love your children opens up a part of your heart that you could never describe. And it's hard to put to words. And I remember when our second daughter was born, who's sitting over here in the front row, you know, we were, our kids were four years apart and I remember Nicole coming to me and almost a little bit upset. And it's just like, how are we going to love the second baby as much as we love Avery? Like, how can we even understand it or even think about the idea? Because we just had devoted our lives and our love and we had given all of our time to her. How are we going to love the second child? And then she showed up. And then you know what we discovered? A whole new realm of love that we had never discovered before. See, and this is what Enoch discovered when Methuselah was born. Listen, he had no scriptures. But he looked at his son. And he understood something about love that he had never felt before. He, he had never even been able to consider it before, but he looked, this, this is my son, this is my child. And then, and, then, and then he looked out at the world and look at all of these trees and look at these supplies and I didn't create myself and my father, God, who created me, he must love me. 
Because look at the world he has placed me in. And so from that moment on, Enoch understood something about the creator God, the heavenly father, and he wanted to walk with God. The love that he felt for his child, that he realized something about God. See, Jesus talks about this in the New Testament. He says, if you being evil or carnal and natural know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give good gifts to you? How much more? So I have this love that I can't actually describe. I can only tell you that we look at parents, we look at each other and we're like, you know what I'm talking about? You're like, yeah, I know what you're talking about. We can't actually put words on it, but it's just something that is true. Jesus said, how much more does God love us? See, and here is a hindrance to so many people as it relates to walking with God. Am I going to walk with God? Because they don't actually know who God is and they don't have an understanding of the love of God because they've been told a lot of different things and God has been represented to them in very negative ways. But here's something that Enoch understood right from the beginning. That God's love is transcendent. That God's love is beyond anything we could even imagine or dream about or describe. Or we, we, can't, we can't articulate it properly. And Jesus said, yeah, you've got it right. And you know what? It's even beyond that. And once we understand about the love of God, we will want to involve God in every situation and circumstance and moment of life. That the God who loves me, who loves me more than any child that you can love, wants to walk with me, wants to have a relationship with me. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says this. A lot of times if you've been around church, we, we use this verse for maybe people that are far from God or haven't said yes to Christ yet. And we use it almost as an evangelism tool. But in its proper context, it's actually written to the church. It's written to people who have said yes to a relationship with God. And what is it God is saying? Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. My dad used to describe it like this, that God is the perfect gentleman, that he will never force himself on you. And this scripture bears that notion up. That what is it? God is like, I, I'm stand, the metaphor is I'm standing outside of the house of your life. And he's not kicking the door down. And he's not forcing himself on you. What is he doing? It's like, here I am. I'm at the door of your life. I'm at the door of your heart. And I'm speaking to you from outside the door of your life. And, and what is it that I want to do? I, I want to come in and I want to eat with that person. That represents Intimacy. And we know this is true. The people that we love and the people that we care about, we, what do we want to do? We want to have them in our house and then we want to feed them. 
We want to sit together and we're going to eat. Why? Because we're going to talk. We're going to, we're just going to be together. We're just going to be together. And this is what God wants from our hearts, from our desires, from our choices. He wants us to choose him. He's chosen us. The question is, are we going to choose him? Are we just going to be busy? We're like, yeah, I know, I know, God, I know you love me. And, and, and I know you, you want to spend time with me. I know you want to, but I got stuff to do, God. You know, I'm busy. I'm choosing a career. I'm choosing a major for school. I'm trying to choose a spouse, God. I'm trying to work out this thing where I get married. We have kids. You know, Pastor Brent says, I'm not going to understand love. If I don't have kids, do I need, you know, if I'm going to have a child, I need a spouse, God. And I'm going to be busy doing all of these things. And we seemingly disinvolve God. And then God is where? I want to walk with you. All the things that you need to do, all of the things that you need to choose. I want to walk with you to do those things. I just want to be with you. And this is the thing that Enoch did. That please God. See, here's what I would say, too, about your children. Your children are dependent on you for, for many years, especially when they're, you know, brand new. They, they cannot survive without you. And so they have to be with you, and they have no choice. But eventually, they're going to get an opportunity to choose, and there will be nothing better There will be nothing better one day when you have old enough children and they will say to you, mom and dad, I actually want to be with you. The people that you love more than anyone in the world. I want to be with you, mom and dad. And this is what God is saying to us in these verses. He's standing outside of our lives I, I, I want to spend time with you. I just want to be with you. I just want to walk with you in life. Why does he want to do that? Because his love for you as his child, we, we can't even articulate it. We, we, we can't even say it. The infinite loving God. God, the scripture says, God is love. How, how can we, we can't, I mean, we could sing a love song, but it's not going to be enough. John chapter 14, verse 23 says, Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. See, this is family language. This is language that we should understand. And listen, I know not everybody has had a great home life and you haven't all had a great experience with your parents. But the reason that you know that it's not a great experience because you know it should be something else. And back to the generational curses question, create something different in your home. If you didn't get loved, if you didn't get hugged, if nobody told you that they loved you, change it for your kids. Jesus said, I'm going to make my home with you. God, the father wants to make his home with you. Where is home? It's not the house that you live in. Home is with the people 
that you love. It's, it's not a building. It's not an apartment. It's not a house. Home is with the people that you love. And the reason we think this way is because God is this way. I want to make my home with you. I, I, I don't want to make my weekends with you. I don't want to make my Sunday mornings with you. I want to make my home with you. See, and once again, we'll be way more apt to open the door to God. Once we understand who he is and what his character is and what his nature is, that he wants to come in and just wants to eat with us. He wants to be with you. He just wants to be with you. See, Jesus, in his stories and in his parables, he represented to us the love of God. And not only in his stories, but in his life. We see that Jesus would spend time with the least of the least. That he would spend time with everybody. But for people that had been rejected by their family and friends, for example, like a leper, that they would have to live outside of the city. They have to live away from their families in a colony of sick people. And Jesus would spend time with those people. He would actually touch them when no one else would touch them. He would engage them in conversation. And then Jesus tells us this wonderful story about the love of God. Let's turn over to Luke chapter 15, guys. We're going to skip down to Luke 15. It says that Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. He's bringing it home. Do you understand why Jesus is telling us this story? He's bringing this home to us. And I use that in every sense of the word. He's bringing it home. He's, he wants us to understand about the Father God. He's going to tell us a story about the Father God. And the, the place that we're most familiar with experiencing love and care. Where is it? It's home. Or it should be home. And if it wasn't home for you, you can make it home for somebody else. There's a man who had two sons. The younger one said to the father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together. All that he had, he set off for a distant country. And there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything... There was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the paws that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So here's a guy that has messed up his life terrible choices in a really bad spot 
And I, and I think we could all agree he's kind of hit rock bottom. Verse 17, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving. I will set out and go back to my father. I will go back to my father. Jesus here is teaching us about the love of God, about the place where we learned about love. I'm going to go home to my father. And whether you experience this for real in your own home, this is the way it should be. That I'm going to go home to my parents. I'm going to go home to the place where they love me. I'm going to go home to the place where they gave me everything I have, not because I deserve it, because they love me. They had so much love in their hearts for me that they fed me and they gave me clothes and they took care of me and they were up at night with me. I'm going to go back to that place. I'm going to the place of love. And this is what God understands about us and what we should understand about God and what Enoch understood about God. That the God who he was walking with loved him more than he loved his son. More. More than the place that we know love. More than that. More than we could describe in a thousand years. God's love is that. I'm going to go to my father's house. And this is what God wants us to understand about a relationship with him. He's standing outside the door so he can come in and be with us, not beat us up. Not hammer us for our mistakes. Not grind us into the ground because we've done another stupid thing. He wants us to let him in because he wants to be with us. He wants to sit across the table from you and say, child, I love you like no one else. And I want to walk with you. I'm going to set out and I'm going to go back to my father. And I'm going to say to my father, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up. And he went to his father. He went to the place of love. A relationship with God is going to the place of love. That's what it looks like. That is the essence of it. That is what the heart of it. It is the heart of God sending Jesus to the earth. For God so loved the world. World. Everybody. Listen. But then he brings it home. He brings it home to you. That the place where God calls home is with you. The place where God calls home is your heart. It is the center of who you are. And God wants to walk with you. Think about that. Think about who he is and who you are and who I am. And he wants 
to walk with us. I'm going to go home to my father. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father, Jesus, Jesus is teaching us about God. His father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. Even for someone who had made a litany of stupid mistakes. Filled with compassion. He ran to his son. Threw his arms around him. And he kissed him. He said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The guy who had made all of these mistakes, who had wasted his life, which is all of us without God. Doing my own thing. However old you are in here today. All we have to do is turn towards God. Think about this now. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Jesus is describing to us God the Father. That the Father sees us. Has compassion on us. And runs towards us. Hugs us, kiss, put the robe, you know, put the robe, put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. And parents, you get this. You have a little bit of an inkling of what that means. And then God goes beyond that. His love for us. can hardly be described even though Jesus is doing a really good job here of telling us about the love of God for this son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and he was found so they began to celebrate began to celebrate why did they celebrate because I get to be with my child And this is what God says about you and to you as he stands outside of the door of our lives. That he wants us to open up the door and he comes in with his love and his mercy and his forgiveness. He comes in and he wants to walk with us. He wants us to live by faith in such a way that we know God is always there. Who, God? The angry God that somebody told us about? Or is it the the God, Jesus, who died and was resurrected, has something to reveal to us about God the Father and what he's like? We, we, We just turn to him. We make the small move towards him. He rushes at us. And he loves you because 
He loves you. He loves you because it is his nature and it is who he is, not what you've done because we are all like the prodigal son. We are all like the younger son in this story in some shape, form, or fashion. But the good news is God still wants to walk with us. He reaches out to us. He hugs us. He loves us. Let's just pray this morning. Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.